Wow, this is sacred space for me. Thanks for letting me come and uh, be part of your day a little bit. Uh, I, I, I am Mark, the one that uh, Michael was, was telling you about. And I, I did spend 22 years here on staff, but I also spent five years undergraduate here. So, man, this, is, uh, this feels like home to me. And I'm so glad to be in chapel and, and watch you worship. I think, the, honestly, I, 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 Isaiah, Isaac, sorry, <laughs> Isaiah, Isaac. Um, what you've done here with the worship is really notable and i've been gone for seven years but man the the level of energy and engagement is is really good so thank you isaac for making this make it a different place here thanks uh i'm supposed to talk about heaven but i realized terry boland spoke last week and since he has the voice of god <laughs> how do you compete with that uh, and then Matt Proctor, um, and nobody competes with his preaching, he's going to preach next week on hell, and I'm just wondering why I'm doing heaven and he's doing hell, because most people would guess they would think that we're each going to the different uh, place. <laughs> what does he know about hell? Seriously. I mean, maybe he's read about it, but experienced it, I don't know. Uh, and what would I know about heaven? So, but it's, it's interesting, while you were talking, uh, Michael, about Core 52, I remembered something that I, I, I actually did the audio book, so I'm you know, in the studio reading through this. We did it in three nights, so it's just you know, read chapter after chapter after chapter. When I got to the last chapter on heaven, the very, the very pa the passage that tr uh, Taylor read for us, I actually began, you can hear it on the audio, I started crying. I'm going to try not to do that today, but it is meaningful for me. And what, what is meaningful for me about heaven is all of my life is about making Jesus famous. And I do believe that there are levels of reward in heaven. And I, you know, I don't have time to get into the theology of that, but I don't believe everyone gets the same reward in heaven. I think Jesus was literal when he said that you know, your investments and the talents you have will be rewarded commensurately. That you invest in heaven, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, things like that. Leave me to believe there's levels of reward in heaven. And a lot of people object to that because they think, well, that seems like we should be, I guess, communist in heaven or something everyone gets the same thing that doesn't make sense but I think what bothers people is that we would work for a reward for ourselves oh no you misunderstand the reason that I want a reward in heaven like a crown now you can compete with me if you want but I'm going to try everything I can to get a bigger crown than you because I know what happens to crowns in heaven they lay them down my <clears throat> My whole life is about a moment when I can take whatever reward I get, a crown, and lay it at Jesus' feet. And for one moment, all of heaven stand and say, now that is a life worthy of a king. That's why, that's why I want to go to heaven. And the way I grew up, I grew up in a really small church, Sacramento, California. It was one of those old-fashioned, you know, hymn-singing not all the hymns, verses 1, 2, and 4. Some of you will remember that. Crazy, um, kind of a legalistic, you, or, or you earn your salvation by your works. That was kind of the way I grew up. So heaven, to me, was not necessarily intriguing because everywhere, everyone in heaven wore white, which makes no sense to me at all, and they sang harps uh, for eternity, uh, old hymns. To me, that sounds like the other place, so... 
I wasn't really interested in going there until I met a guy named John Wheeler. John was in my first ministry in San Antonio. He was a physicist, and he was old enough. I mean, this is 1981. He was an old man back then. He was old enough that he had worked during the World War II era with Albert Einstein. So you probably know what project he worked on. And I asked him, you met Albert Einstein? Like, what was that like? He said, well, if you're talking physics, he was fascinating, but at a party, he was boring. So I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but John took, he took the Bible seriously. And he did for me what I want to do for you today, just walk you through the passage that Taylor read. Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read seven verses and make seven observations why I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Now, you've heard about heaven from the time that, you know, you came to Christ. It's still true. It is a reality that you and I are going to look forward to. But just one clarification from verse 1. We are not going to heaven. We're going to a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth disappeared, and the sea was also gone. That's verse 1. Here's observation number 1. We are going to a new earth in a new body. And frankly, that delights me. I live in a desert. Some people hate the desert. They feel like they're living in a giant kitty litter box. I love it. I like, I love, so everything in the desert, uh, just it bites, stings, or pokes you. You gotta be tough to live in a desert. And I, I love that about the saguaros. They're majestic saguaro cactuses. Literally, some of them almost as tall as the ceiling in the chapel. Do you know how old a saguaro is before it gets its first arm? You know the, the cactus, the, the arms? 60 years old before they get their first arm. Like there's a patience and a grit in the saguaro. So I, I love this word, this earth. I love biking, I love hiking, I love swimming. In fact, a group of guys and I just got back from Nepal. A great experience. We got a dude in our church, his name is uh, Matt McLean. He's 35 years old, done super good. At, he's a financial manager. He's done really well. And he told me two years ago uh, that tithing, 10% tithe, is not enough to express his true gratitude to God. So with the excess money God has given him, he started an organization called Quench. He asked three questions. Who are the poorest people in the world? What is their greatest physical need? And of those poorest people with the greatest physical need, who needs Jesus the most? And he landed on Nepal. It's sandwiched between India and China. They're persecuted on both sides. Christians are less than 1% of the population. So he started digging wells in, in Nepal. And, and he was asking me, he's a great guy, but not super charismatic. So he's going, how can we build the organization? I go, dude, you're in, you're in the Himalayas. Why don't you just invite guys to go on a discipleship trek for three days in the Himalayas, and the cost of going on that trip is digging a well. And by the way, every well you dig plants a church, and every church needs a pastor, and every pastor is persecuted, so you have to pay also for persecuted pastors to come to a conference, and by the way, you're training them. So he said, well, would you want to go with me? <laughs> Hike the Himalayas? Yes, sir, I would. So I started recruiting these guys. The guys were just... All of them, like I had a bromance with them. 
like a serious man crush. Two of them in particular, they are uh, A.B. and Ice. That's not their real names. That's their call signs. They are F-35 pilots. And they actually took, one of them is the commander of Luke Air Force Base, so big deal, took me out there, let me fly the F-16 simulator. <clears throat> I crashed, in case you want to know. So I got kind of a man crush on this. I asked I, I ask, uh, Aaron, whose his call sign is Ice, I said, Aaron, how comfortable are you, because he's a Thunderbird, he's not just a pilot, he's a Thunderbird, you know those guys that fly really close? How, how comf- at what level are you comfortable flying over the ground? He said, well, I'm comfortable being closer to the ground than they let me. They let me fly 100 feet off the ground, upside down, (laughs) at 800 miles an hour. The the guy's just legit. So we all go on this hike, and what was cool is we're hiking at 3,000 to 6,000 feet below a mountain that was 23,000 feet. So the rise is 20,000 feet. We're literally in a jungle Looking up at this snow-capped mountain, that particular mountain is not in the top 10 of the Himalayas. We took a flight around Mount Everest. Unbelievable experience. And so when the Bible tells me that I'm going to a new earth, I'm kind of geeked out. Because I haven't fished enough in this one. I haven't hiked enough in this one. I always wanted to study geology. I think I'll get to do that in the new earth. Is this making sense to you? The place that you're going has the things that attract you about this earth, but it doesn't have the things that repel you about this earth. And if you notice carefully in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, he vacillates between what is there, what isn't there, what is there, what isn't there, what is there is a new earth. With all of the the beauty of creation, I assume animals, maybe some that we haven't even had here, some plants that we haven't even had here, and we get to figure out which are for medicines and which are for health and which are dietary and which is just straight sugar, and I know that heaven is full of that. It's an addiction I have, I apologize. But what it doesn't have, did you notice anyone? You can talk back, what is not on the new earth? There's no sea. Now, I'm not as smart as Shane would because he like figures out all this Revelation stuff. I don't know if he's just bored late at night or what it is, but he's like dug in to Revelation. My best understanding, ask him because he'll probably tell me I'm wrong, but the sea in ancient literature, it was a place that separated peoples. It was a place where people died trying to cross to get to other people. And my guess is that the reason the new heaven and the new earth doesn't have a sea is because there's no longer separation from peoples. And I would apply that certainly ethnically, that there's no reason for us to be separated from other ethnicities. That's a plague in our world. There's no reason economically to be separated because we're all like walking on pavement of gold. There is that. There's no reason to be separated even with genders. And you think about all the things between the, the genders, the Me Too movement, and the, and, the, and the Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, all of that's gone. All, all of that's gone. So the things about this world that could be difficult for us, we have the best of this earth, but not the worst of it. Verse 2, here's the second observation. And I think I'm going to maybe appreciate that more than some of you might, but 
I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I love cities. I, I live in one of the largest cities uh, of the United States, and I, I love it. I love the sporting events. I was at the, the, the football game last Thursday night. Uh, the Cardinals lost, but the Niners won, so I'm still happy. It, I, I, I get to go to these concerts, musical concerts. Oh, and the food. My wife and I, so I listened to a podcast that our church does called Made for Monday, and there was a guy on there named John Dills. John is the manager of a restaurant. It's one of the hidden gems of Phoenix. It's like right in the middle of this little neighborhood. It's a resort, uh, but also a restaurant that was named year over year the most romantic restaurant in the United States. I'm going to confess something to you. This is probably wrong of me to do, but I'm kind of shallow sometimes. I, I heard a, a John's podcast, and he's doing a great job managing and making Jesus famous in the restaurant. So I, I texted John. Well, because of the size of our church, I, I had to tell him, you know, this is Pastor Mark, and you know, I heard your podcast, really great job on the podcast. My hope was that he would get me into the restaurant, <laughs> which he texts back and goes, oh, I'm so honored that you, know, you listen to it, and would you want to bring your wife to dinner sometime? Why, yes, I would. So <laughs> last Friday night, we go down there. I'm not kidding you. I, like, it was super romantic. And he's the manager, so he meets us at the door, and all the staff, he's got 100 staff at this high-end restaurant, so they're all like, you know, yes, sir. And he, he escorts us in and sits us down. We eat outside in Phoenix, kind of what we do, so there's these cactus around, these lights around, and he brings us this menu. Oh, the menu is amazing. For an appetizer, can you believe this? They brought us a, a Himalayan salt block that was 500 degrees with some ahi tuna that I got to grill myself on. It was crazy good. That was the starter. I would miss that if it wasn't in heaven. But we're, we have a city in heaven. And again, the things that you don't like about cities won't be there. So think about the, 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 there won't be any traffic jams. There will be no hospitals, no sirens, no police, no immigration, no firemen, no politicians, and no preachers. <laughs> now there's a city that I would like to live in. Verse three, here's the third observation. <clears throat> I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God is going to dwell with us. And of all the things in heaven, that's what draws me there. I have, I have worked in my entire life to, to let people know Jesus. I don't really know him. Men know about him. I, I feel like in prayer I've encountered him. I've never touched him. I've never, but I will. I've never embraced him, but I will. And can you imagine being face-to-face -face with Jesus for the first time and all you do to bring these lovely ladies to chapel? Worship your guts out. Pales to one glimpse of one moment that will make it worth it all. 
Now, I, I, I want to share a word with you. This is the word uh, among dwells. The Greek word is skene. A form of that word is actually in John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You, you remember that? Like the, the whole tabernacle, uh, Dave Fish could talk about the Greek, I suppose, and just, you know, the, it is the same form of the word. Think about this. Heaven will be a reverse incarnation. What Jesus came down to do for us, we will ascend to be with him. An eternal reverse incarnation. I'm digging that. Verse four, it says, uh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more tears, uh, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these are gone. I did a funeral yesterday. Right before I got on the plane, uh, uh, one of the members of our church, his wife's actually on staff, Tracy is her name. They've got uh, four kids. Two of them are a mess. I mean, a mess. Drug addiction, sexual immorality, a mess. Their, their life is pretty chaotic. What I learned is that he, his father, um, he, he was Catholic, but he came to CCV, um, and he liked to hear me preach, so they asked me to do the, do the funeral. He's a friend, so I did. He drank himself to death. In the year 2001, the doctor said, you have scoliosis, you are going to die in the next year. That was 19 years ago, so all of that was a gift. It was so funny. His wife was there as well. She goes to our church. Her name is Casey. He, even though they were divorced, Casey called him every night at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. And you know what his ringtone for her was? Now, remember, they're divorced. Like, he would sneak over to her house, go into her house, and leave gifts for her. It was a weird relationship. She, she couldn't live with him, but she couldn't live without him either. And drinking was the whole thing. That whole addiction just destroyed their marriage. But the ringtone on his phone for his ex was my girl. So every night at 10, it was so funny too, he would, he would be sitting there, and it, it happened every night at 10, his phone would go off. And he's sitting with his son, he was living with his son at the time, for the last 15 years. He would sit there, and the phone would go off, my girl, and he would just like, my phone is going off. And he would look to see who it is. And then hit the button. It was just like this whole thing he did. Almost like he was so proud of her. What struck me yesterday as his urn is sitting on the table and 150 people came to say goodbye to him is that the relationship that was broken for them on earth will be restored in heaven. And there's just a hope that the tears, the pain, the frustrations that we feel here will ultimately be gone. Uh, verse 6, this is, the, this is the sixth observation. He also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So in other words, this is pretty serious. He's like setting it up with this big aha moment. And then he says, to all who are thirsty will be given freely the springs of the water of life. There will be no more poverty in heaven. And maybe you've been paying attention in the first eight verses. He vacillates from what is there, what isn't there, what is there, what isn't there. This is a what isn't there issue. And I know that one of the, one of the majors here, and many of you are in it, is the biblical justice major. You will be irrelevant in heaven.
Last observation. All... <laughs> hey, I will be too, so don't get your feelings hurt. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now, if you know anything about first century world, like father, like son, and not to be chauvinistic here, Teresa Welch, but it is male to be the son. But it applies to females equally. I will be like God. And if you're wondering what that means, look at the contradiction in verse 8, or the opposite in verse 8. There will be no more sexually immoral. There will be no more swindlers, liars, cheats, thieves. In other words, there are no sinners there. So how in the world do you think you are going to get there? Matt Proctor, maybe. (laughs) Me and you, sucks to be you. (laughs) I was reminded uh, when I was in Nepal last month, um, I had the guys at one point stand, 13 13 guys on, on my team, stand and face these Nepalese pastors. And I asked the pastors to stand if any of them had lost their family for following Christ. A dozen or two dozen stood. Stand if you've lost property or business because you're a follower of Christ. Another two dozen stood. Stand if you have been physically beaten for Christ. Another two dozen stood. And for the first time, these guys who are top of the game in their own professions were staring in the face of persecuted pastors. And they just wept. And it's moments like that that I really hope the Catholics are right about purgatory because I'm not sure I'm going. I'm kidding, of course. But how is it that we are going to be like God in heaven? Will we really be sinless? Let, let, me, let me close with this simple idea. What makes you a sinner here? It is that your body is still unredeemed whoever teaches Romans can talk through that in chapter 8, but your body, your soul is redeemed, your spirit is redeemed, your body is not. So I think all of us would know the feeling that my body wants to go one way, my spirit wants to go another, and sometimes I don't do what I want to do. Even Paul said that, so it's not too hard to admit that flaw in us. But how is it that we could be sinless in heaven? One is that we get a new body. And that new body, I'm telling you, we've already read, all things will be made new. Maybe at your age you're not looking forward to that, but look at me. I'm looking forward to a new body. I still don't want hair, though. It is such a hassle. <laughs> but a new body, and it's not for the physical prowess. It is to, so that my body will align. The desires of my body will align with the desires of my spirit. So if I had a new body, I would come closer to sinlessness. But now now do this. Take away all of the influence of Satan and his imps, the, the demons. And now take away all of society, the porn in your pocket, the materialism that is rampantly around you. Take all of that away, the, the influence of society and the demonic temptations. Take all of that away. Take away your old body and give you a new body. And then the only other thing that makes me a sinner, well, there's two things. One is time, because I get in a hurry. So I prioritize tasks over people. What if you took away time, temptation, 
demons and your current fleshly desires. The only other thing that makes you sin is pride. And I'll tell you the only place that I have never felt pride, that I've never been seduced by self-promotion, is when I'm preaching and when I'm worshiping. Think about worshiping in the presence of Jesus. You can still be proud of, but not let your pride seduce you towards self-promotion. I believe with a straight face that the moment I die, when Jesus comes again and establishes a new Jerusalem, a new city on a new earth, that my sin will be completely a thing of the past. And I want us to experience that for just a moment. So I'm going to ask the band to come back out. And let's bring a little bit of heaven to earth as we thank God for what he's about to do for us soon and very soon. So in the prayer of Revelation, come Lord Jesus.